0: Hello and welcome to Best of Shows, Entertainment Weekly's weekly podcast about the best of television and the rest of television. I'm Darren Franich, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly. I'm joined by my fellow TV critic, the brilliant Kristen Baldwin. And Kristen, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am going to put you on the spot. If you had to describe our dynamic on this podcast, uh, which one of us is the Polly D and which one of us is the Vinny?
1: It's interesting because I do think that uh, they are very different but very compatible, much like we are. <laughs> um, I guess I would say that you're the Vinny and I'm, oh, I'm the Polly I'm the, D.
0: I'm the I'm the, I'm the shy kind of kind of thoughtful one. You're well, the one who's who's out there spinning all around the world. That that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that's yeah, accurate. I mean,
1: Vinny describes himself as a complex creature. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like that's an actual quote. So I do, I do feel like that applies more to you than to me. I'm not that complex.
0: I disagree with that entirely, but Kristen, uh, one thing that I know we can agree on is that we are very excited to talk about a double shot at love, the new dating show starring a couple of our favorites from Jersey shore. That'll yes. be later in the show. Uh, we are also going to be chatting a little bit about the current situation with one day at a time, mm-hmm. the canceled question mark, Netflix question mark sitcom. Uh, uh, and that may lead into a longer conversation about some of our favorite uh, TV shows that were canceled too soon. But uh, first up, Kristen, I, let's talk a little bit about the new FX limited series, Fosse Verdon. Yes. Uh, Fosse Verdon is a historical biopic about one of the great collaborations in the 20th century pop culture history. A lot of people know the name Bob Fosse, the transformative director choreographer known for his trademark, super sensual, super modern choreography and stuff like Cabaret and Chicago and the film All That Jazz. Uh, Less people or at least uh, me, a person with uh, a somewhat basic knowledge of Broadway history, uh, know the name Gwen Verdon, but the best intention of Fosse Verdon is that it wants to kind of make it very clear that she was the true uh, key collaborator and equal to Bob Fosse. They were married, they worked together on multiple uh, shows and, and productions, some of which she was credited with, many of which she was essentially serving as a combination co-director uh, just person to bounce ideas off of. Their dynamic is really fascinating and uh, best of all for us, they are played on screen by Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, two extremely talented actors having a great time with this material. Uh, Kristen, the show has a lot of things that I like about it and it does a couple of very familiar biopicy cliches that I didn't like quite as much. Um, mm-hmm. What did you you Think about uh, what you've seen of Fossey Verdon? You know, it's
1: interesting because I'm definitely not the target audience for this. Like, literally, the only thing I knew about Bob Fossey was Robin Williams in the birdcage going, Fossey, Fossey, Fossey. <laughs> that was honestly it. And
0: that's all you need, though. <laughs> that's all you really need. So I was
1: just like, I don't know anything about any of these people. Um, but, you know, obviously, this is uh, a, a big prestige show. So I'm going to check it out. Uh, I thought that Rockwell and Williams are great together, they have great chemistry. And they very clearly set up this, you know, very relatable dynamic uh, by the first or second episode that she makes him better. You know, he is uh, he's her husband, but he's always cheating on her or with somebody else. But he needs her most of all. He needed her to be great, and she just needed him because she loved him, you know, and uh, that's a very, that's a tale as old as time, so that was kind of what pulled me into the story, because I didn't know anything about these people, like, when she's, you know walking around with her friends, and they're talking about Neil, and I'm like, oh, I think that's (laughs) Neil Simon, and then I'm googling like, (laughs) Neil Simon's wife, because like, I have no idea who any of these people are Um, but I agree with you that there's some stuff in there that just like the structure of it, they're sort of counting upwards (laughs) to the time that he dies and so it's like, you know, 20 years before his death, you know, 10 years yeah. before death. But then the time goes back and forth and they're jumping forward and backwards and there didn't really seem to be a lot of structure there. And there was a lot of like quick cut flashbacks to pivotal moments of like his dad was demanding and she was apparently, you know, sexually assaulted. And, you know, just these things, it, it was handled in a very sort of heavy Handed way.
0: Yeah, that's the stuff that feels a little dewy coxy to me where you just kind of have, you know Wallace scene is happening There'll be these sort of brief almost kind of subliminal flashbacks to momentous moments from their life And I hate to say it that that's become a little bit of a cliche Mm -hmm. Conversely, um, you know just the scenes where they are together. There's such an incredible kind of um, you know undercurrent of power playing and romance and all of these things kind of swirling around them in the first episode um, Um, We're on the set of the film Sweet Charity, which I've definitely never seen uh, Which which by the way is apparently true of most of America given what happens uh, in the show Um, But uh, you know Bob Fosse is the director But he's working there with Gwen Verdon and you're kind of just seeing them putting a scene together And it's very much a kind of meta musical where you know They're literally in the act of filming a musical But the way that they're putting it together feels very musical and the way that Gwen kind of talks to the dancers and how it kind of plays Mm off of the way that Bob talks to the dancers. Um, in episode two, we kind of flash back to their first meeting, and that scene is an incredible like seven or eight minute long mm-hmm. sequence. They're in a sort of dance studio. They're learning a dance. Um, the dance that they're learning is from the show Damn Yankees, and it is a seduction dance. It's it's, it's the famous song about, uh, you know, whatever Lola wants, Lola yes. gets. And of course, they're kind of seducing each other in that moment. Um, those uh, bits, I, I think, really, really work. Yeah. Can uh. really kind of get at the core of the show. You know, Kristen, sometimes with limited series, um, at least the modern limited series, I kind of find myself unconsciously looking at it and saying, okay this may have at one point been supposed to be a movie. What are the scenes that have been added yes, in to pad it yes, out? Yes. And it's like, like those scenes, the two of them, I'm like, that is the movie right here. Absolutely. And some of the other bits, yeah, you, you kind of mentioned there's the Neil Simon name dropping. <laughs> we see Patty Chayefsky. We see Liza Minnelli. We see Shirley MacLaine. Some of that stuff, I think, works a little bit less well. It does right. feel like, this, it feels like that's more the kind of tapestry of the kind of historical time period than actually being about these two characters.
1: Yes. And I do think, you know, I really went into the show thinking like, this is not a show for me. This is a very specific audience for this show. Like there's a really small sliver of the population that's going to be into it. But in fact, you know, it it was a nice surprise to realize that I ended up, watching more and more because of Gwen and because yeah. of Michelle Williams's performance and just the it is very relatable this idea of a woman who puts herself second behind the man the successful man that she's helping and you know her story I I kept uh you know she's being wronged by him. You know left, right, and center, and yet she keeps going back to him. Um, and when she needs something from him, more often than not, he disappoints her. And so, not to you know paint all men with a broad brush, but this is a uh, relatable story. She's just a character I could relate to, even if yeah. I have no idea who she is. And it's interesting to note that Nicole Fossey, who is their daughter, uh, she's a consultant on the show, and she's a character in the show.
0: Which which, which at times, you know, that's the kind of thing that would often make me a little skeptical of a show if it kind of has the involvement of the family. I mean, right. even, e- even if they come at it with the best intentions, that just kind of tends to mean that it becomes a little bit of soft propaganda. Right. I, I don't really get that vibe from the early episodes. Um, and, you know, you're so right about Gwen just being... I think an immediately more compelling character. Um, you know, Michelle Williams is giving a really great performance, and it's the kind of performance where you're kind of constantly seeing her as an actress, as a woman in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, al- al- almost like every interaction for her, you can feel like she's acting, and you're kind of very aware of that—that that she's sort of, you know, it- there's times with Bob where she's trying to, you know, help him and not undercut him, and she seems very aware that he's an incredibly fragile person, yes. and so. She she, she as a result, kind of feels the need to overcorrect for that um, in a way that I think is just so palpable. It's hard. I mean, I love Sam Rockwell. He definitely has the, like, kind of like, you know, movie comb over, like, biopic wig problem more oh my so God, that than Michelle <laughs>
1: Although her wig, you know, she's had some, just ask Tim Stack. She's had some real <laughs> wig issues in, in her past works, but this wig I feel like is pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah. This was this okay. This doesn't quite uh, get to that you know, Venom place where the yes. wig seems to, re- to require its own trailer. Um, Kristen, we should mention that uh, this uh, sh- show does come from some pretty high-powered Broadway people. Uh, executive producer Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's someone the people might know. Maybe. Uh, he, of course, worked with Thomas Kale, who was the director of Hamilton, and my beloved Grease Live, one of my favorite <laughs> musical Live. experiences of the last few years. Uh, Kale also directs some of the episodes. Uh, and then the showrunner is uh, Stephen Levinson, who did Dear Evan. Hansen, uh, which I'm told is wonderful and I have not seen yet but actually um, going way down in the list Kristen one of the names I found to be most um, kind of exemplary of what the show might be going for is Joel Fields who worked on the Americans oh. and like that show I do think the best aspects of Fosse Verdon so far it really is just kind of getting into you know this very relatable and fascinating marital dynamic and this sort of feeling that you know whenever Bob and Gwen are to together, there is some sort of, you know, power imbalance between them, Mm -hmm. and and it's fascinating to see how, you know, there are some statements that are kind of on the nose, but that kind of get at this, this sense that, you know, Bob, as a director, does he kind of weirdly want to be her? Does he also weirdly want to dominate her, and how does she kind of react to that? So a a lot of interesting stuff in the mix here, which I I think that, like, if this were a 10-episode limited series, I'd be nervous, but eight episodes seems like it's, it's about the right length of time.
1: Right. Right. And I just, I would emphasize that if you don't know anything about Broadway, but you know, d- it doesn't mean that you, uh, you may have to have Wikipedia open while you're watching, which <laughs> is what I did. Um, but it doesn't mean that this show isn't for you. And just one other little teaser. Uh, the This week in uh, Entertainment Weekly, our theater uh, expert, Jessica Dershowitz, uh interviewed uh, the people behind Fosse Verdon. And let me just tell you that, and you won't know what this means until you see episode one. But the uh,
0: story about the gorilla suit is true. <laughs> that is incredible. That's that's the stuff, like the, the, the sort of inside the making yes. of movies you think you know, and, and well, the realization and also, that <laughs> you know she the what happened to her. Uh,
1: you know, Gwen is involved in procuring a gorilla suit, and has an unhappy surprise when she arrives back with it and that's all true apparently so fascinating fascinating. and that's (laughs) the the
0: stuff I mean yeah it it, you know I'd be intrigued to sort of hear more from people who are more up on Gwen Verdon and and, and Bob Fosse but this this sort of worked for me as someone who you know knows the name Fosse and now happily knows the name um, Gwen Verdon everyone do check out uh, Fosse Verdon it debuts this Tuesday on FX
1: it is time to take a hard left turn from prestige television Television and talk about a little reality TV franchise called Jersey Shore. For 10 years, MTV has been milking ratings and hypes out of this lovable group of self-described guidos and guidettes with a ri- the original series, of course, as well as, as spinoffs like Snooki and JWoww and Jersey Shore Family Vacation. So the latest Shore-related spinoff premieres April 11th at 8 p.m., Double Shot at Love stars two of the least incarcerated Jersey Shore boys, (laughs) Polly D and Vinny, as they meet and mingle with 20 single women in an effort to find a wifey. So, Darren, as you probably know, I am a long time super fan of The Bachelor, and of course you're a Jersey Shore super fan, so it's really as though MTV, like Frankenstein, this show together just for us, (laughs) and we've both watched the two-hour season premiere, and I have to say that though I am definitely dumber for having watched it, I was giggling and smiling and laughing through the whole damn thing. For me at least Polly and Vinny have always been the most likable Jersey Shore guys even though they've clearly spent the last 10 years horn-dogging their way through every major metropolis. They still manage to come across as nice guys and they also have a very genuine chemistry as best friends which is all the more entertaining for how different they are. You know Polly D is flashy and loud and he loves bling and he has a rotating display case for his jewel encrusted watches, <laughs> Well, Vinny is kind of the shy and awkward guy who is very dedicated to the keto diet and gets anxious in social situations. So the 20 women competing for F- Polly and Vinny run the gamut there's a staten island guidette there's a nebraska-based weather girl there's a very buxom registered nurse named Susie, with a z of course and there are some very funny jersey shore related touches uh in this bachelor-like program for example the women all arrive in cabs instead of limos. <laughs> i mean this show is silly and stupid
0: but God, I loved it. What did you think? Darren? Oh, this this show is extremely, extremely uh, up our street, Kristen. Yes. Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned how you know for for, for long time Jersey Shore connoisseurs, uh, of which <laughs> I am definitely one. Yes, I I really did appreciate the attention to detail when it came to incorporating Jersey Shore, uh, you know, fetish objects <laughs> into into this kind of bachelor setup. Um, you know, you you, you kind of mentioned that when that when the Girls arrive uh, there in a cab, but it's it's also you know at the end at at the sort of you know quote unquote rose ceremony, um, if they are uh, you know (laughs) if if they've been eliminated, they are told to their face, your cab is here. (laughs) I laughed every single time, every single time, and it's just it's just great because you know I I mean. um, you know, with quote-unquote serious dating shows, yeah. um, you know, th- th- there's often this this sincere attempt to sort of get the pageantry, and, 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 you know, it's possible to watch that and enjoy that ironically or sincerely yeah. or whatever. I just love how here, like, it kind of feels like everyone is very much in on the joke, and it's a very funny joke. Um, yes. and, just, and just, you know, you, you kind of mentioned how, uh, you know, it, th- this is the right pair of Jersey Shore people to be on a show like this. Um, in a lot of ways Vinny and Polly have kind of changed the least over the last 10 years. Right. And that's because like Polly was always a cartoon character. Like, yeah. like, like like he actually makes more sense now that he is a global traveling DJ. Like like like, like you know, he he always kind of was that even when the show began. Yes. Um, whereas Vinny, you know, despite kind of having been on screen for so long and having like lived a lot of his life on, on reality TV, he does still have this kind of interesting core of introvert. Version, which yes, is just it's, it's an anxiety it's, like yeah, and, he's and, anxious and, and that's kind of one thing that again you know kind of thinking about the setup for this show uh, you know in, in the premiere we're kind of seeing Polly's interacting with the women and then Vinny is and they do have very distinct you know almost existentially different versions of themselves on the show where Polly D is of course the ultimate flirt and Vinny you know only really seems to feel comfortable when he's talking to one of the kind of potential wifies about squid porn yes like, there's, there's just there's there is this aspect of them. It's almost like Vinny is like just too human, and Polly D, and I mean this as a compliment, is just incredibly inhuman. And yes. there's just it's it's a really fun dynamic. I'd love to know, though, Kristen, as someone who you know you've seen so much more of The Bachelor than I have, I had kind of a question, um, just in general, kind of dating show terms. There is so much crying on oh, yeah. the first on the first night of this show. Is is that common on on, on The Bachelor? Like, are the emotions that high on night one?
1: They generally are, but I think there are a couple key differences. Um, you know, in in the past, in you know five ten years ago, uh, with the Bachelor and Bachelorette, there was no alcohol limit, and there's definitely no alcohol limit on the set of Double Shot at Love, and so you definitely got rowdier behavior. You got crying more. You know. Uh, on The Bachelor, there were women taking their panties off and throwing them at The Bachelor and then passing out in a closet. That happened. Matt Grant <laughs> season. It was amazing. Um, but then uh, a couple of years ago, they instituted a two drinks uh, per hour limit, which would still knock me on the floor, by the way. Um, but... There's no limit here on double shot at love. So yeah, the a lot of the interactions that you see are similar to what you would see on The Bachelor. Like once the mingling begins, the women are like stealing him, you know, oh, can I steal him for a minute? You know, and one girl starts crying for no reason. I don't think she's drunk. It's cuz she felt like she wasn't she didn't fit in. And it was actually a very sweet moment because, you know, these are these are hardcore uh, Jersey Shore-esque women, not all of them are from, you know, the tri-state area, but they they certainly fit that mold, and you would think that they might just start catfighting immediately, but when this one girl, Miche, uh, when she starts crying because she doesn't feel like she fits in, the other women sort of support her and say, oh, you're beautiful, you do fit in here, and they they lift her up, and that was sweet. There's also, of course, a drunk girl from Staten <laughs> Island who falls in the hot tub, and because there's just no alcohol they're just drinking and (laughs) what i loved so much about you know vinnie vinnie especially um the way he he would he would watch these women interact, you know, either with Polly or he would uh, sort of see their behavior, and he would just like mutter these things under his breath, like, oh, I hate Staten Island girls, um, or like, <laughs> you know, oh, this girl spiraling, spiraling right now, you know, and just like he, they they really have very clear ideas of what they like and what they don't like. Um, but I I did think that there was a lot there's a lot for a bachelor fan to like. But you definitely like if you are not somebody who enjoys the Jersey Shore. A, I don't know who you are or how that could be, but B, this is not a show for you.
0: Yeah, like, uh, and I'm definitely someone who, I I will always be fascinated by the Jersey Shore and and by the people who came from it, and I I remember, you know, uh, back when I was recapping the original run of the show, I always kind of felt like it was the rare reality show where, like, somehow the less realistic their lives became, the more realistic the show became. Yes. Because, you know, Jersey sure it was such a phenomenon and you know I remember like when season three was happening in season four and just the ratings for the show were so insane these people were now like so famous they'd somehow become as famous in reality as they used to just be in their heads and like that kind of gave the show and and gives the new version of the show the the uh, the uh, family vacation show this weird like kind of fascination for me Um, there's a moment in uh, the first episode of double shot at love when Polly D kind of says you know being put in this house in front of these cameras that's my lifestyle right and you're kind of like, oh yeah, like this is this weird sort of like you know um, like Vice City mansion that you're living in with like a million cameras pointed at you and twenty women you know brought here to potentially date you. Like that is bizarrely that is your life. That is kind of your life. And so so it is. It, I don't know. To me, like as as far as dating shows go, I guess maybe I'm just you know turning turning somewhat sentimental. I do sort of feel like we might have met the future Mrs. Vinny or the future Mrs. Polly D?
1: I think it's entirely possible. I mean, there's definitely some women that they each enjoyed talking to and seem to have, you know, generally actual conversations with. Um, and, it, you know, it would be sort of in keeping with their uh, the past decade of their lives to meet <laughs> the, the woman they marry uh, on a TV show. You know, I had to sort of go back and look up you know, how old they are and everything. Polly D is 38. Uh, He has a child, which I didn't realize. And he sort of says uh, during one conversation with a a woman that he sees her once a month. And that made me sad, which again, like that element of sadness also played into my enjoyment of the show. Like these are real people. And I like when they have sort of tragic backstories. Um, Often on a reality show, that's a win to have a tragic backstory. But it kind of made me sad like, oh, Polly D has a daughter and he only sees her once a month and maybe he does need to settle down so he can see her more, you know? (laughs) And Vinny, meanwhile, um, he's 31 and uh, he, he does seem to, he really does, you know, he's a mama's boy, like hardcore, but he wants somebody, as he said, he wants somebody that will give him the things he gets from his mother, but... As a wife, which there's, I mean, there. (laughs) What a lie! What a (laughs) lie! I don't know how we could unpack that statement. We could spend a long time unpacking that statement, but it's just like, that's what he wants, and that, you know, okay, sweet. Um, But I, and the women are just you know, the women run the gamut and they're all, they're curvy. There's some definite like skinny ones, but there are women with actual bodies, which I enjoy, like human bodies. Um, They're curvy and they're, um, you know, buxom and they don't all look like they're all completely plastic surgery uh, done over. So, you know, it was, it's an interesting uh, selection.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it seemed to me as if just like, again, like, you know, it's, there was there's a little bit of kind of tension between them but like you are right to point out that like it is kind of nice there's this moment where some of the women do seem to kind of come together and kind of help another one out which is nice there are a few lines that i marked down that were just like <laughs> i love reality shows um one of the women i think it might have been ashley mentioned kind of offhandedly that she's done a lot of quote hosting in the exotic car oh my community God, yes. and i was just like the exotic car community like how do i become a part of that like uh, you know cuz I mean, like, like Expensive cars I've heard of, but exotic cars, exotic is defi- cars. it's definitely something new. Um, and then, you know, Kristen, there are, the, there are the moments that do sort of make me weep for the future of mankind in the first episode. Some, someone is having a lot of fun with how they are creating the competition here, because even the sort of like, you know, um, the, the, the first night competitions, there's kind of a quiz show involved yes, at yes. one point. There's a weird kind of DJ runway thing. But in the quiz show, there are a few questions that are like, how many stars are the American flag, or what is the closest planet to the sun? And I have to say the the answers to those were not very encouraging no. for the future of the American education system. <laughs> it was it was a little depressing.
1: Although um the one the girl who likes squid porn um and bonded with Vinny over that, she answered a tough question um which I didn't know the answer to about like a part of the brain, and she got that. So I was like, all right, good for you. Um you know, but there yeah, some of the questions were it was kind of sad that they...
0: and and Kristen, I I do want to just point out, um, I've seen a lot of spellings of Darren in oh, my time Darren. because because Darren is a name that is oddly easy to misspell. But there is a contestant, um, a lady Darren, yes. who spells her name D E R Y N N. Oh, so and good. just so you know, that is how I'm going to spell my name. Also <laughs> going forward, I'm changing my Twitter account. I'm changing my byline. You got to go to the op- the Social Security <laughs> office and update there your are, your you IDs. Know, the, 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 Kristen, just because there are so few Darrens, sadly, the Darren from double shot is already above me in the global Darren ranking. it's It's Chris Aronofsky and then her. Th- those are that's the current standings in the uh, Council of Darren. and she actually
1: she had she said one of the funnier things in the night that I wrote down um when she was, you know, it was time for the cab ceremony. <laughs> I laugh every time. And she was a little worried about her behavior during the cocktail party. and she said, Uh, should I have talked to that plant? Probably not. Should I have crawled on the floor? Probably not. (laughs) And I was like, yes, this is exactly, like the fact that she then had the self-awareness to realize that, you know, her behavior was regrettable. I was like, that is is a great evolution of the reality TV moment. So I really did enjoy it. I'm probably going to watch the whole season I can't wait to find out what the, like, final cap <laughs> ceremony is. Like, are they going to propose? Are they going to, like, you know, invite them to go tanning? I don't know. Like, what is what is that big moment going to be? I don't know. Because there's nowhere, you know, they talk about wanting a wifey and stuff, but there's nowhere here where they're saying, you know, and at the end I'm going to get engaged, you know, because I yeah. think that's a little crazy. It's a little crazy on The Bachelor. Like, nobody should do that after a six-week you know, reality show uh, taping. But I do, I will be interested to see who these uh, who these gentlemen pick as their
0: final Yeah, Christine, <laughs> but, 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 but you know what? I, I, I agree with you. The only authentic dating show ever was uh, Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire, yes. where they actually got married at the end of the show. That mm-hmm. was the only time that that, that True Romance ever fully uh, took hold on screen. But yeah, and I would just say, you know, to, to fans of something like, I don't know, Fosse Verdon, who have been rolling their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> we've been, we've been talking about this um, Kristen you, you kind of mentioned the, the self-awareness and I do think that like that is maybe one hallmark of the Jersey Shore yes. franchise in general like you know the original run of the show it was just a lot funnier than I think it had any right to be and yes. like you know, you, you know, you did have a few people on that show and Polly Dean Vinny were two of them who just seemed like to have that kind of added sense of like this is all very funny and, and you know they, they had a good sense of humor about it it just very different from me from something like The Hills, where yes. you know, which which is a show that's very entertaining in its own right, but everyone could seem a little lobotomized at times. Like this show is definitely kind of a little bit more in that original Jersey Shore spirit. Um, you know, it is; it's so ludicrous and you know, Polly Vinny, and many of the contestants seem to realize that, and, and so you know, it, I, it, it, it makes it a, it makes it a safer viewing experience. I agree. I Polly
1: and Vinny have always been guys who are just they look like they're having a great time. <laughs> and this, you know, on whether it was Jersey Shore or this show, and they really do. They look like they're just happy to be there. And they're funny, like uh, funny because they like you said, they know that everything about themselves and what they're doing is ridiculous. Uh, you know, when the when they were watching the women arrive, uh, you know, they were up in a bedroom watching on a a, a uh, by the way, they also have them b- bunking in the same room together, like Jersey Shore, which is like, you know, it's this huge house with probably 40 rooms, and they're sharing a bedroom, just like they did on the Jersey Shore, which is fantastic, two, you know, double-sized beds next to each other. But anyway, so they're up there watching the women arrive, and one woman gets out. Um, I think it was the woman who is a member of the exotic car community, and she kind of does this runway walk toward the door to get in the, fr- the mansion, and, you know, they're like, wow, she She's really walking with a purpose, and Polly's like, yeah, she wants a shot at love.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and Kristen, Kristen, you remind me of one of the best details of the show. So they're inside of this big mansion, seems to be somewhere in in, in Hollywood or somewhere in uh, Los Angeles. They're in this room together, as you mentioned. The first thing Polly does when he gets into oh my this, one, of, one of like 30 bedrooms <laughs> in this place is he takes out some nails and puts some nails in the wall and hangs his gold chains on them. Yes, like that is, in a row, in a very this, neat in, row. In, in an incredibly neat and OCD row that that is a moment that you come to reality tv for <laughs>
1: And I, I noticed at one point all their sneakers are lined up against the edge of the wall like it's really you know and i do feel like that's not contrived i feel like that's how they are but like you said they are kind of cartoon characters and that's what makes them so uh entertaining so yes uh, a double shot at love premieres thursday april 11th at 8 p.m on mtv check it out you know it will make you dumber but it will make you happier too so give it a (laughs) shot
0: it will make you comfortably
1: dumb yes (laughs) perfect so darren okay after the break you and i are going to talk about the whole one day at a time situation and of course some of our favorite shows that were canceled too soon Now it's time for our TV talk segment, where Darren and I talk about TV, specifically the most notable television news of the moment. It's been about three weeks since Netflix made the quote-unquote very difficult decision to cancel One Day at a Time after three seasons, but fans of the critically beloved comedy are still reeling, in part because the way Netflix did it was so obnoxious, first by saying that there weren't enough people watching to justify a fourth season, and then by offering this sort of self-aggrandizing addendum. And to anyone who felt seen or represented, possibly for the first time by One Day at a Time, please don't take this as an indication that your story is not important. Ugh, just shut up. Anyway, Sony, the studio that produces One Day at a Time, and showrunner Gloria Calderon-Kellett are shopping the show to other networks. And in the most recent development, it's been reported that CBS All Access has expressed interest and even made an offer uh, to pick up the show. But at the moment, it's unclear whether Netflix, which has the right to veto any deal Sony tries to make with another streaming provider, will let that happen. Uh, So it's possible that, like, CBS All Access could pick this up, but Netflix may just block it because they can, Uh, which is, of course, super obnoxious, Darren.
0: Yeah, Kristen, we've been sort of talking about this a lot because it sort of plays into some of the larger uh, narratives we've seen emerging in the streaming wars, uh, the wars for which we are your war correspondents. And (laughs) it's just it's such an interesting move for Netflix right now. You know, we're we're recording this a few days before uh, this episode comes out. So perhaps the situation will have changed. But right now, there is a weird feeling that, you know, Netflix, which has kind of so quickly become the. 10,000 pound gorilla in the room. Um, You know this feels like the first kind of explicit time when their messaging has been like you know go to hell, we're Netflix, basically. And, and, you know, I mean, there are so many kind of moving parts to this deal. I I do think that, you know, it's funny that we are yet again talking about CBS All Access, um, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, that is a streaming service that has my favorite show on television right now, The Good Fight, also has shows that I don't like so much, but it's clear to me that, like, someone over there, you know, this is a show that would really, to me, fit right in with whatever their brand is. Yes. And so it's cool that they are kind of thinking about that. Um, It doesn't just seem as if, reading the kind of uh, reporting on this situation over at Vulture, it does seem as if there's a chance it might go elsewhere. But it's just a it's just a weird moment, I think. I mean, like, yeah. we're only we're only like a year or so from the time where the whole thing with Netflix was that the joke was that they never seem to cancel shows. Yes, and, and it's funny how I, I think certainly for you know for different um, for different areas of the Netflix subscribership, suddenly it seems like the big story stories with Netflix are cancellations, like, you know, between One Day at a Time, between all of the Marvel Netflix stuff. Um, So it's definitely an interesting transformation period that we're going through right now with them.
1: Well, hopefully they will do the right thing and let uh, One Day at a Time go to anyone who wants to pick it up, because that's a show that, you know, fans really love. In the meantime, the outcry over One Day at a Time got us thinking about the cancellations we still can't get over. So Darren, my first pick is a show that got the axe almost three years ago, but it's still pains me to this day, The Grinder, which premiered in September 2015 on Fox, stars Fred Savage as Stewart, an every-guy lawyer and father in Boise, Idaho, whose life is upended when his rich, successful, handsome, famous brother Dean, who plays a lawyer on TV named The Grinder, comes to live with them after his show is canceled. And naturally, Dean, played brilliantly by Rob Lowe, immediately decides to, quote-unquote, help his brother and dad with their family law firm because he thinks playing a lawyer on TV means that he can practice law in real life. Um, Fred Savage and Ron Lowe are just hilarious together. Savage in particular is a brilliant comedic foil and uh, he's so good at being, he's like uh, sort of the Jason Bateman character on Arrested Development but yes. with with less self-hatred and uh, The Grinder is a very smart, silly and funny spoof on all those shows about totally unqualified people solving crimes, you know whether it's magicians or con artists or vampires. Here's a typical exchange that I feel like sums up the, the humor of The Grinder. So Stuart says to Dean, so you just chose to phrase that in the most misleading way possible. And Dean responds, the most dramatic
0: way possible. And it's perfect! Kristen, I'm so glad that you bring up The Grinder. This show is such a, a right out of the box delight. Yes. And it, it, it is still so sad to me that like people didn't discover it when it was on. They haven't discovered it yet. It, it, it has... You know, this this very, like, you know, straightforward idea of kind of being like, you know, what happens when a TV lawyer decides to become a real lawyer. But everything that flows out of it, it's just really fascinating because it's almost kind of a show about, you know, certainly about celebrity and kind of about, like... This feeling that everyone in his hometown has—that like they want their life to be more like the TV life he was leading. Yes, and so you know, constantly in the show, you know, judges will sort of make exceptions for him because like you know they love him. <laughs> he's the, he's grinder. the grinder, exactly. <laughs> and you know, one of the best episodes involves the arrival of Timothy Oliphant uh, playing himself, um, who was on the spin off, and I think it was was it the Grinder New Orleans yes, uh, that it was supposed like to be. <laughs> like it just it just becomes this this incredible you know duel between them that is both you know literally about a trial and figuratively about you know the two of them and it's just all i i I don't know it's funny because you know it it aired in 2015 and i just sort of feel like it it weirdly in a not whatsoever over the top or serious way that takes away from the comedy it kind of started scratching at some of the things we all feel now about like what's happening to reality Yes. And, and, and you know, the, you know what happens when, uh, when I don't know, a celebrity starts to achieve power in a local town. There's, yes. there's all this great stuff, but also just like the cast is so fantastic. This is, um, you know, one of the hallmarks of, uh, you know, uh, Natalie Morales. Who we've talked about recently. Yes, she's so great when she joins the show. And yeah, even just that kind of dynamic between Rob Lowe and Fred Savage, as like, you know, Fred Savage is really like the most relatable person of all time, and all he wants to do is just do his work and. Have have a normal life for his family and every episode there's just Roblo, like this just you know coming in and totally taking over again it's and so thinking funny. he's helping
1: and you can just see like years of this brotherly dynamic where the less handsome certainly far less famous brother is you know like oh <laughs> now I gotta deal with this guy and his you know everybody loving him even though he's a big pain in my butt well anyway <laughs> The Grinder is fantastic and it's a it's a really funny show worth uh, checking out you can watch it on Amazon, YouTube, or iTunes.
0: Uh, Kristen, I want to bring up a show uh, that is actually celebrating its 10th anniversary right now, but unfortunately it was not quite seen by enough people to justify the massive global 10th anniversary celebration that it really deserves. Uh, the, the show is called Kings. Yes. It aired on NBC in 2009, created by uh, the great Michael Green, who more recently has become a screenwriter of almost everything. He was uh, Oscar nominated for his work on Logan a couple of years ago. Uh, Kings is a story that is, you know, inspired by the biblical tale of David and Goliath, but it is set in a kind of alternate reality. Uh, you know New York City but it's ruled by this monarchy the monarch in question the main king is Ian McShane and this is like one of the all time great just Ian McShane on screen unloading invective giving (laughs) speeches Kings is kind of looked back on sometimes as being one of those shows that maybe air just a little bit too early before Um, it's time it's it's before it's time it tells this sort of larger tale about how uh, Ian McShane as a king is running a country. His country is uh, fighting against another country. Um, There's also a younger man, the the David character, who may be the sort of rising king. And what does that do to Ian McShane, to his family? Um, It it feels a little bit like modern dress Game of Thrones in hindsight, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when uh, one of the best kind of scenes in TV history is when uh, Ian McShane goes to visit um, the king who he had deposed, who's played by Brian Cox, Uh, and like, I mean, in 2009 on network television, getting to see Ian McShane and Brian Cox just like throw words at each other was one of the greatest (laughs) things ever.
1: God, 2009, I forgot it was that long
0: ago. uh, Is is this a show that uh, you'd watch very much of, Kristen?
1: It isn't. And it's funny because I know so many really smart people who loved it and still bring it up and still, you know, tweet memes about it and stuff like that. And it's it it's so interesting that you put it as sort of a modern day Game of Thrones without like dragons and stuff, because it it feels like a rich family drama in that way and very smart. And I do think if it had premiered today on, say, a Netflix or something like that, it would become something that people would binge and get obsessed with.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I, I do think that the one, you know, one of the sad, happy things about a show being canceled too soon is it means that you can not experience all of it much, much faster. Yes. Uh, Kings Kings is available on uh, NBC.com for oh. free, uh, which which I think does come with some commercials. Sure. Uh, I would recommend maybe springing for uh, the whole series is on Amazon Prime. And it's, it's not, should you want to not navigate the NBC site, uh, that might be a slightly better option. It's definitely uh, worth the time and effort. Definitely one of the more unique shows to ever air on uh, NBC. And,
1: you know, with Game of Thrones going off the air soon, you know, you can uh, fill the void with
0: this. So. And, and and listen, like, you know, th- you know, if you're feeling like there's not enough Ian McShane right now between American Gods and Deadwood, this is one more thing to, you know, throw on the pack. Exactly. There's <laughs> never enough Ian McShane.
1: OK, so my second show is uh, canceled very recently. It was canceled in November 2018 and it premiered in September 2018, And it's one of those shows that Netflix canceled, uh, The Good Cop. Uh, the Good Cop stars Tony Danza and your mom's favorite opera singer, Josh Grobin, as father and son police officers. Uh, actually, Danza's Tony is an ex-cop because he has just gotten out of the slammer where he went for a corruption scandal. Groban plays TJ, and he's such a straight arrow detective that he won't even steal sugar packets from the IHOP like that freaks him out. Tony is out and living with his son now, and uh, much like Dean on The Grinder, Tony can't help but get involved in the cases that TJ is working on, even though he can't get involved in an official capacity. He wants to help his son. Um, And all of the clever mysteries each hour are wrapped up by the end of each episode. It's a rare procedural for Netflix, but it's really funny. Josh Groban is freaking hilarious. I can't believe it took him this long to get a TV show, and I hope he gets another one soon. And he and Tony Danza together are really fun. The Good Cop comes from Andy Breckman, the creator of Monk, which was a show that I never got into, but I can see the appeal of these sort of clever stories that wrap up at the end of 44 minutes and it's fun you know it doesn't make you think too hard but the cast's really good and they're really funny Isaiah Whitlock jr is in it he's always brilliant so it's they canceled it after one season for some reason which I won't understand but of course you can still watch it on Netflix did you ever watch the good cop Darren Uh, Kristen you love the good cop so much
0: and and you're gonna hate what I say I have not gotten around to watching the good cop just yet Uh, that was kind of one of those shows where sometimes as a TV critic duo I kind of feel like we're doing triage, yes, trying yes. to cover everything, and it just came out right at a time where there was a lot of other stuff that I was trying to catch up on. But I love that you've been so adamant about it, and I feel I, I felt very sad for you yes. when it was canceled. I I was very much kind of like, okay, well, like you know, Kristen likes a show. It's on Netflix. It's safe. It's definitely safe. <laughs> it's not safe. <laughs> it's, it's not safe. <laughs>
1: nothing safe anymore. But anyway, you should check out The Good Cop. It's such a fun, easy show to binge. And uh, it's just it's really like it. it's a show that makes you feel good. It doesn't make you think too hard. And it's very funny.
0: Uh, Kristen, my uh, last show that I want to talk about also comes from Netflix, Uh, collective eye roll towards Netflix this week. The show is called Everything Sucks. Uh, It debuted last year, very short first season. It's a sitcom. Uh, It is set in the 1990s and follows um, a group of high schoolers. Uh, Eventually you kind of realize that what you're seeing is a specific group of high schoolers, the AV club and, and the drama club are kind of coming together to work on a project together. Together, um, This show Kristen was a little bit of a stealth missile for me um, the first couple of episodes didn't wow me, but um, I watched the whole first season and I'm really glad I did because th- There's a bit of a secret attached to this show and I'll just spoil it right now Go Because you know clearly not enough people knew about the secret uh, to to get to get into it when it was on um, But you initially kind of think that you're watching and almost kind of like um not like super badly but like you you think you're watching a show about like three uh, you know high school aged like dudes Um, and uh, the seemingly main character is uh, Luke um, who is a a freshman in the AV Club who has a crush on a girl named Kate Messner Um, which you come to realize in the early episodes is in a lot of ways Kate is kind of the main character of the show Uh, she's played by Peyton Kennedy and you find out that she's someone who's kind of questioning her sexuality and Hmm. seems to be kind of having this um, awakening as a lesbian at a time when even though it's not that long ago you know that kind of experience um, was just a lot harder for kids I think you know this is still very much a kind of right pre-internet era yeah and um, her kind of like journey over the course of the show is really wonderful and there's just a point where the show in the midseason really seems to kind of find its footing it's a very generous and wacky show but there is this real heart to it and I, I just think Think that you know we have so many teen shows now that just feel very over the top and melodramatic and you know, whether they are literally supernatural or it's something like Riverdale where it might as well be <laughs> yeah, very, very supernatural. And, and you know, that's fine, but what this show was going for, you know, I think it's just hard because it was sold so much on the kind of nostalgia factor. And if anything, that kind of gets in its way initially and there's, you know, this sort of shot by shot recreation of the Wonderwall music video. Oh and you're kind of like, okay, like, you know, I think the internet was made for 90s stuff like this, um, but it really kind of gets to a point where it all really felt like it was coming together. And again, I think I probably even said in my review of the show, like, you know, it's a good thing it's on Netflix because it'll really be good next season. <laughs> and it'll it, never and get it, it, canceled. Exactly. And then it unfortunately didn't have um, another season. Is, is this one that you had checked out at all when it came on last year, Kristen?
1: You know, I didn't. And in part, I think it's so interesting to me that uh, this show didn't do well, but then something like Sex Education which yeah. is another Netflix teen show. It wasn't a period piece, but as we talked about here, you know, you it's hard to tell sort of initially that it wasn't a period piece. Um it's a, it was a very honest and real and progressive teen drama and it ends up doing well. And then something like this that sounds like a really well-made and interesting uh take on the teen drama just doesn't catch on. I wonder did they not publicize the fact that the the main character was, that Kate was sort of questioning her sexuality because I, I almost wonder was, if that would have
0: helped yeah I, I I just think it was the kind of thing where and again it is very much you know it is in a lot of ways an ensemble show uh, there's a great character played by Sydney Sweeney who just recently seems to be in everything she was in Sharp Objects uh-huh. uh, and she was the um she was the kind of younger uh, uh, person who came into the house last season on Handmaid's Tales. so she's she's really good but yeah I, I think in general everything sucks I wonder sometimes if it was kind of a show where I'm trying to think of how to express this but it's almost kind of like the notion of something so essential to it kind of being a spoiler mm. might have made it hard for people to discover it Peyton Kennedy who plays Kate she's given a really good performance I, I think it's great that we have a lot of just stories now about people who weren't heterosexual in the past <laughs> yeah and, 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 and you know what that meant for them and just the way that this show approaches it um, um, it's really sensitive and thoughtful and funny and you know then you kind of get to the point where you know they are kind of like making a movie together and there's just a lot of fun like you know high school kids in the 90s working on a project together stuff so yeah I, I sort of wonder if you know um, had the show kind of presented itself as that more clearly would it have caught on I, I'm not sure but I, I do sort of feel like um, you know the, the good thing about Netflix is it's up there next to the other thousand shows and so everyone uh, do definitely check it out it's 10 episodes Super short, super fun, and uh, I, I I think it's a a, a real kind of gem uh, in, in the midst of all the stuff that Netflix has been putting out recently.
1: And it's the one good thing about Netflix uh, when Netflix cancels shows is that you know they never really go away. You can still yeah. go back and watch them. You know, it's not like uh, everything that's leaving Netflix this month. They're going <laughs> to keep all their their intellectual property. So you know you can go back and watch uh, The Good Cop or watch Everything Sucks, and who knows, maybe someday uh, if enough people sort of discover it after the fact, they might find a financial incentive to bring these shows back.
0: CBS All Access is going to get Everything Sucks pretty soon. Uh, I can feel it. I can hoping. feel it.
1: <laughs> so, Darren, before we wrap this conversation, I have a question for you, and it may this may not be a good ending point because it could take another four hours to discuss, but I'm still oh going to bring it up. Um, we're talking about shows that were canceled too soon, and I'm wondering what your feeling is, you know, putting the revival aside, um, Twin Peaks Was it canceled too soon or not soon enough or right on time?
0: Uh, Kristen... uh It's funny because that is one of those shows where, you know, it was a phenomenon in its first season, in its second season. Um, You know, I think even the most diehard fan would say that there were moments in season two where things got pretty dark. Um, In its original run, I think I would have said it ended at the right time, just because like there is kind of a magic to those shows that know they're going to get canceled. And then so for their last episode, they just go insane. Yes. You know, like um, I, I always think kind of more recently and more stupidly, um, the V reboot yes! from a few years ago, like its last episode, that show was unfortunately never good, but its last episode was kind of astonishing because it just seemed as if like all of a sudden like all the annoying characters were killed horribly yes. and it was almost kind of this bit of like schadenfreude as if the <laughs> writers were like, okay, like before we go. And so, so I, I would have said that like, I mean the end of Twin Peaks, Famously is an insane cliffhanger. That's also kind of fascinating But I, I I think that with hindsight, you know loving the movie that came out of it and certainly loving the revival in in the broad Cosmic four-dimensional spectrum. I, I think it probably ended at the right time um, but I you know, I mean I probably I think nobody would have said that watching the finale and being like oh, what? Like are you kidding me? <laughs> But but I, I, are there other shows like that where like even if they weren't supposed to end at that time like somehow they ending that they came up with does work or like, you know, uh, I guess like Deadwood was previously the example of this where like, it's not a perfect ending at the end of season three, but it is sort of wonderful and it's in its own way.
1: I still watch Modern Family. Uh, I still think it's funny. I think maybe it could have wrapped up a couple seasons ago, but... 10 seasons or 11, whatever it's going to wrap up on, I think is good. I do think that's a show that certainly by now people have forgotten how important and actually how influential it has been. There are definitely shows that get canceled where you're like, okay, mm-hmm, yep, this is this is probably for the best. I enjoy this show, but this is, it's time to wrap it up. And, you know, I think that case, as you just made, uh, can be made for Twin Peaks. Okay, good. I was worried that that was going to be like your brain would explode and it would be... It exploded we-
0: a little bit. Exploded a little bit, Crystal. No to be honest with you, I bet it's funny because you mentioning that I, I'm beginning to sort of do my annual rewatch of the revival season of Twin Peaks. You're inside my head as uh, as usual. And if I start uh, talking backwards, we'll tell our producer Patrick to run my backwards talk forwards the way they do in uh, The Red Room. What year is it? Everyone, that seems like an appropriate time to end this <laughs> week's episode of Best of Shows with one of the most horrifying final statements of any TV show ever. Uh, if you liked what you heard, then uh, do give us a rating and a review and check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, tweet at us. We've had some great conversations recently on Twitter. She's at Kristen G. Baldwin. I'm at Darren Franich. Uh, I was was shamed recently uh, by a member of the Caro family for for only being halfway through the Power Broker, which I consider to be a personal career highlight. Um, But we love having conversations on there. Uh, We want to hear from you, especially we want to hear from people who uh, are a little bit more aware of the Broadway history of Fosse Verdon. We definitely want to hear from everybody who may be checking out their first ever Jersey Shore spinoff uh, this <laughs> week do it! in terms of a double shot at love. Uh, so uh, do keep the conversation going there. I should have a catchphrase but I don't. So goodbye.